Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you are glad that he is your comfort tonight? Amen. No matter what you've gone through this week, we can find comfort in the arms of God. And we can find comfort in the house of God as well. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord? I know I am. And uh, I'm glad to be here. And I'm sure you're glad to be here as well. You can go ahead. Well, you already have up my first slide. But as always, before we move on to our next spiritual discipline, which we're going to look at, as always, I want to pray. Ask God to be a part of everything that takes place this evening, part of my words and part of you receiving. Amen. Because none of us can do this on our own. I think we've learned that over the last few weeks. So we're just going to invite God in. He's already here, but we're just going to give him room to do what he wants to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you that you are our comfort. You're our strength. You're everything that we need this evening. And Father God, we confess our need for your anointing. Father God, your presence is here and your spirit is here, and I thank you that with that can come your anointing. So I confess my need, and I ask for your anointing of your Holy Spirit to rest upon me once again. Father God, I don't want to stand up here in my own strength and my own wisdom and my own abilities, because it'll only get me so far. But I pray, Father God, that you would anoint every word that comes from my mouth, that you would anoint my mind, Father God, that you would strengthen my body, that I might be able to stand here and bring forth your word with clarity and with understanding. I also ask that you would anoint your people, as always, Father God, give them ears to hear, give them hearts to receive, and I pray, Father God, that they would be able to receive your word with gladness this evening, Father God, and that you would just receive all the glory and all the might would come against every, any hindering spirit that would try to take away what you want to accomplish in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Tonight, we're going to uh, continue with our spiritual discipline series. Again, I don't know how long we're going to go. There's a lot of disciplines that we can look at. But we're going to continue in our spiritual disciplines, or what we have also called the habits of devotion, or the disciplines that demonstrate our devotion to God. Uh, because just like God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners and died for us, we too have to be able to demonstrate our devotion to the Lord. Amen. You see, we, we need to understand that we have to demonstrate our devotion with more than just words. We have to demonstrate our devotion with our life, with the, the life that we live, not just the words that we speak. How many of you know that devotion takes more than words? Amen. Amen. It has to be demonstrated, like I said, through our lifestyle. It's one thing to say that you're devoted, but it's another to prove it in the life that you live. It's one thing to say that I love God. It's another thing to prove that you love him through the life that you live. It's one thing for God to say, I love you, but it's another thing for him to send his only begotten son and die on our behalf. So this is what we need to understand. It's one thing to say that I'm a Christian. It's one thing to say that I'm a son or daughter of the most high God. It's one thing to say that I am part of the family of faith, but it's another thing to demonstrate that confession of your faith. And this is exactly why Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, and told him that he was to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. This is why we're going to continue on with this spiritual discipline series. It's in order for us to demonstrate our devotion to God. It's in order for us to demonstrate how much God means to us. Amen. 
so this is what we're going to do. So far, we've looked at the purpose of spiritual discipline, which according to uh, the verse that I just mentioned, is to acquire or develop godliness in our lives. Uh, not just a, an occasional godliness, not just a part-time godliness, but godliness that is revealed in the way that we live our life, like I said. You see, when Paul spoke to Timothy about this godliness, he wasn't talking about a Sunday school godliness. He wasn't talking about a sanctuary godliness that, that, that shows up just on Sunday morning or just shows up on Wednesday night. Paul was talking to Timothy about a godliness that shows up from morning to noon every single day of the week. A godliness that reveals itself when you wake up in the morning, when you walk along the way, when you're in the middle of a meeting, when you're in a conversation with your wife, when you're trying to discipline your kids. No matter what area of your life, God wants us to demonstrate or or, uh, bring forth this godliness in our life. The, The kind of godliness... I just want you to understand the kind of godliness that Paul was talking about when he spoke to Timothy was not a form of godliness. It wasn't a facade of godliness. It wasn't a form of godliness that lacked power, church, and and lacked uh, uh, the ability to do anything in our lives. He wasn't talking about a godliness that was empty and weak and worthless. He was talking about a godliness that was full of power and full of strength and full of value and had the ability not only to change your life, but change the lives of those around you. According to Paul, that type of godliness only comes through spiritual discipline. It only comes through practicing these habits of devotion. It obviously comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. But once we receive that, it's not just enough to say, listen, I I hate to tell you, it's not just enough to say, I I receive Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just say, I receive the blood of Jesus Christ on my life. There, when we receive the blood of Jesus Christ, when we enter into that new covenant, there becomes a responsibility for you and I to demonstrate that devotion and that confession back to Jesus Christ. This is what he is requiring of us. It only comes through spiritual discipline. Two disciplines we've already looked at are the discipline of scriptural intake and the discipline of prayer, which I hope was as much a blessing and a challenge to you as it was to me. But tonight, I want to begin on the spiritual discipline of worship. Before I do, I want you to understand, as with every other spiritual discipline that I'll talk about, in order for our worship to be profitable, in order for our worship to be meaningful or productive or to have any sort of maturing power or, or properties in, in, uh, attached to it, it's got to be built upon the Word of God and prayer. You cannot worship God properly without the Word of God and without prayer. Your worship will be empty. Your worship will be aimless. Your worship will be powerless. Your worship will be unfruitful unless it is built upon the Word of God and prayer. It's why I brought those two disciplines first because they must serve as a foundation to every other spiritual discipline that we're going to learn along the way. So in order, I want to begin by saying, if you don't have the Word of God, You can't worship. If you're not in communication with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through prayer, you can't worship. At least you can't worship properly the way Paul wants us to. And we're going to look at that as we go. 
But one of the first things that we must understand about worship is that just like prayer, it is a command from Christ. Worship has to be as much a part of your Christian life and my Christian life as the Word of God should be. Worship should be just as much a part of your life and my life as prayer and communication to the King is. It is that important, all the spiritual disciplines are, but as, as much as prayer has to be a part and as much as the, the Word of God has to be a part of your Christian life, so must worship be. If, if we confess ourselves to be a Christian... If we confess ourselves to be, listen, a son or daughter of the Most High God, if we confess to have a Father which is in heaven, you and I must learn to worship that Father which is in heaven. Worship comes in a lot of different forms that we're going to look at. So often we think worship is nothing more than a song. So often we think worship is nothing more than playing a few songs on Sunday morning. But worship goes so much farther than that and so much deeper than that. And we're going to take a couple weeks at least to look at that. But tonight I want us to understand that when we worship, our worship must be directed towards God. You see, the reality is every single one of us can worship anyone or anything. But the Bible makes it very clear that when we worship, we need to worship God and worship God alone. You see, the reality is there's a lot of people in the house of God that are worshiping superstars. There's a lot of people that are worshiping movie stars and a lot of individuals worshiping musicians and and pop stars and all sorts of other individuals. There's a lot of people that worship the male figure and the female figure. There's a lot of people that worship power and worship money and worship material. Things You see, you can be a Christian and worship the wrong thing. You can make a confession of faith and think you're worshiping God when in all reality you're worshiping another God or something else. And in order for us to worship properly, we must understand that our worship has to be directed toward God. Exodus 20, verse 3 and 5 outlines the first two commands that God gives us in the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments says that you shall have no other gods before me. It means I come first. The second commandment said that you shouldn't bow down to any graven images, any man-made figure, anything made, fashioned, or formed by human hands. It should not be bowed down to, and it should not be worshipped. But listen to me, the reality is that... The house of God is filled, and I've been there in my own life. I've worshipped things other than God. I've worshipped power or prestige. I've worshipped sports figures. I've worshipped money. I've worshipped cars. I've worshipped all these other things that God, in His infinite grace and mercy, has even allowed into my life. And then the thing God gave me, I end up worshipping instead of worshipping God. We should never worship the gift. We should always worship the giver. You see, we need to understand God is the only one that deserves to be worshipped. You see, when God spoke those first two commands, it wasn't because he was an egomaniac. It was because he was the only one worthy of praise. He was the one, church, listen to me. He was the one that led the people out of Egypt. He was the one that took them out of bondage. He was the one that set them free. He was the one that fed them while they were walking through the wilderness. He was their spiritual drink and he was their spiritual food. He was their protection. He was their
their cool in the day and He was their warmth at night. He was the only one that was worthy of all of their praise. You see, there's a lot of people out there that, that think God's just an egomaniac because He demands worship. No, God demands worship because He's the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one that can make that claim. No one else. And this is why God can say, you should have no other gods before me because no one can do what I can do. No one did what I ever did. No one can provide for you what I can provide for you. And this is what we need to understand when it comes to worship. You see, you need to understand that if you're in any, in any kind of bondage whatsoever, the same one that led the children out of Israel and Egypt can lead you out of your bondage. And that's why he's worthy of all of our praise. That's why he's the one that needs to be worshipped. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and unsuccessfully for that matter... How many of you know the devil was unsuccessful with his temptation of Christ? We should use him as an example and not let the devil be successful when he tempts us either. But in, in Matthew chapter 4 verse 10, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, after a couple unfruitful attempts, Satan finally revealed that he wanted something from Jesus. You see, we might think that the devil just wanted Jesus to turn stones into bread. We might think that Jesus, re or that Satan wanted Jesus to turn stones into bread. We might think that, that, that the devil uh, really wanted Jesus to go up onto the temple and throw himself off. It, it, that's not really wanted, even though he would have been happy if Jesus did that, because if he did, he would have betrayed his faith and position with the Father. He would have been happy if Jesus did that, but ultimately, he revealed that he wanted something from Jesus himself. He revealed that there was one specific thing that he wanted from Jesus, and that was for him to bow down and worship him. You see, there's something powerful about worship, enough so that Satan wanted it himself. He wanted it in heaven, and he wants it on earth. And we need to be careful who we worship. We need, to, we need to be careful who we put up on a pedestal. We need to be careful who we give our affections to. You see, Jesus made it very clear that you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't worship both God and the world. You can't worship the things of God and the things of this world because you will either love the one and hate the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So you and I have a choice to make. Who are we going to worship? Are we going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords or are we going to bow down to an earthly carnal uh, king called Satan? Who, who, who does nothing but provide you with uh, empty promises. So this is what you and I need to understand. His ultimate goal was to get Jesus to bow down and worship him. He wanted Jesus to redirect his affection and dedication to him instead of to God. The devil, here's what I, I, I might get a little bit teachy on and throughout this thing, and I don't know how far I'm going to go, but as always, we'll trust the Holy Spirit. The devil wanted Jesus to give him what he did not deserve and what he had never earned. I'm going to say it again. The devil wanted Jesus to give him what he didn't deserve and what he had never earned. You see, the devil wasn't the one that spoke the universe into being. 
You and I need to always understand that the devil isn't the one that hung the stars in the sky and put the planets in their place. The devil wasn't the one that caused the mountains to rise up out of the ground and dug the valleys out with his own bare hand. The devil wasn't the one that filled the oceans with water or filled a pile of dust with the breath of life. You see, the devil wanted what he did not deserve. There was only one, like I said, that deserves all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the devotion, all the sacrifice, all of everything we can muster up from the bottom of our soul. It's the one who breathed life into a pile of dust. It's the one that said, let there be light and there was light. And let the, let the, let the darkness and the light be separated. He's the one that holds the water at bay. I told you last week, he's the one that caused the earth to stop for half a day on its access to bring victory to Joshua's life. He's the one that's worthy of worship. Not Satan. He wanted from Jesus and wants from you and me what only belongs to God. He wants you to worship Him. He wants you to bow down to Him. He wants your affection and dedication. He wants everything that belongs to God to go to Him. And sadly, sometimes we give it to Him. Sometimes, sadly, we bow down. Sometimes, sadly, we offer Him the very thing He absolutely does not deserve. And we need to be careful, church, like I said, who we worship. The thing that he wants is worship. It's how the devil operates every single day. The devil's goal is to get from you what only belongs to God. You see, you need to understand that your purity belongs to God. Your sons and daughters' purity belongs to God, and the devil wants it. You need to understand that your integrity belongs to God, and the devil wants to take it. You need to understand that you yourself don't belong to you. You yourself have been bought with a price. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And the devil wants you. He wants your man. He wants all of these things that truly belong to God. And sadly, we often give it to him. We often give him our sons and daughters because we don't train them up in the way that they should go. We often give him, give him our marriages because we don't know how to pray over our marriages. We just surrender and, and give up and, and let the devil have at it. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We cannot allow the devil to have what he has not earned and what he does not deserve. He wants you to bow down to him. He wants you to pay tribute to him. And he wants you to worship him instead of God. Think about it. Satan wants from us the very thing that he wasn't willing to give to God. That was worship. He's not willing to worship God. And yet he wants you to worship him. You see, he wants from you the very thing that he was no longer willing to give to God, the one that created him, just like he created us. And we need to be careful, church. This is what we have to learn, worship. Lucifer, who was one of the heaven's highest ranking angels, came to a point where he withheld what rightfully belonged to God. You see, worship belongs to the Lord. 
It doesn't belong to anybody else. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how low in the dumps you are. Worship still belongs to God. It doesn't matter how you're feeling today. Worship belongs to God. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank or how much money you don't got in the bank. Worship still belongs to God. It doesn't matter if you're laid on your mortgage payment or laid on your light payment. Worship belongs to God. It doesn't matter if you're caught up in some some type of heartache or despair or in the middle of a storm. Worship belongs to God. And we need to get to the point that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what circumstance or situation I'm facing in life, worship still belongs to the Lord. And when you learn to worship, it'll turn your situation around. Worship has nothing to do with how you feel. It's got nothing to do with what the devil is, uh, is bringing against your life. Worship has only one thing to do. The worthiness of God. This is what worship means, church. He wants from you, he wants for himself what only belongs to God. Lucifer forgot who was worthy and forgot who wasn't worthy. Lucifer forgot who deserved the glory and deserved the praise and who didn't deserve the glory and didn't deserve the praise. Lucifer was just like the Pharisee who I've talked about dozens of times that went into the temple to pray one day because he too, that Pharisee, forgot who was worthy and who wasn't worthy. That Pharisee that went into that temple to pray forgot that only God was worthy, not him. That only God was righteous and not him. Both of them, Lucifer and the Pharisee church, they both thought more highly of themselves than they should have. And we sadly fall into that same spot sometimes. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And when we do, we cannot worship God. When we think more highly of who we are, like the Pharisee did, we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping ourselves. So often we do. So often, church, we forget that we too were created to worship and magnify the Lord. So often we too forget that we were created for His good pleasure and not the other way around. Sometimes we walk into the house of God like we, like, like God was created for our good pleasure. Tickle me, God. Make me happy, God. Give me this, God, and give me that, God. Make me feel better, God. Look, there's nothing wrong with praying and asking God to meet the needs in your life. But when you and I I walk into the presence of God, we need to understand that we were created for His good pleasure. We're the ones that need to worship Him and not Him worship us. We're the ones that need to bow down and put our face to the ground, not God. He's our Creator, and we need to remember that. And when we do, we will learn what worship is all about. When we learn, church, we have to understand that when we... When we walk in our own ways, instead of God's, we're worshiping me, myself, and I, and not the Lord. We need to understand, church, that when we do what is right in our own eyes, instead of what is right in the eyes of the Lord, we are worshiping me, myself, and I. We need to understand that when we disobey God, when we satisfy the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, the pride of life, when we give in to temptation, church, like Satan wanted Jesus to do in the wilderness, we are ascribing too much worth to ourselves and not enough worth to God. 
When we do what we feel we want to do and leave God out, we are worshiping me, myself, and I. And far too often, the creation worships itself instead of the one that created it. This is what we need to understand about worship. We don't deserve the honor. We don't deserve the glory. We don't deserve the praise. We don't deserve the the recognition. We don't deserve anything. But God, through his infinite grace and mercy, gave us some of those things. I told you, when I talked about coming into the throne room of grace, that we might receive the very things we don't deserve. That's how great our God is, and that's why he's worthy of even more praise and more worship. Because we serve a God that's willing to give you and me what we don't even deserve. I hope we get that sometime because, listen, when that works its way to the bottom of your soul, you don't got to drum up any worship. You don't got to drum up any praise. You don't got to sit there with your head down and wonder what I can praise God about or thank God about. You realize that in the midst of my unworthiness, God demonstrated his love. And while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. He sent his son for me. He bled for me. He was bruised for me. And now he calls me a son and a daughter. Now he calls me a friend. Lou, if that doesn't give you a reason to rejoice, if it doesn't give you a reason to worship the Lord, I don't know what will. Ah, some of you are waiting for a million dollars in your bank before you worship. You're waiting for a fancy car before you worship, before you give God praise. You're waiting for some materialistic blessing to come into your life before you recognize God as king. We must worship him. Worship. We've got to understand how important this discipline of worship is, church. In Matthew 4.10, Matthew 4.9 and 10, when Satan took Jesus to a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and all of their glory and all of their splendor, the Bible says. Satan said, I will give you all this, Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me. But what did Jesus do? He responded by saying, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. I I hope you understand. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus didn't say, I must worship the Lord and serve him alone. He looked at Satan, who was once Lucifer, who was the choir leader of heaven, who was created to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He looked at Satan, who wanted the worship. He looked at Satan, who wanted the praise. He looked at Satan, who wanted all the glory and the recognition. And he said, you, Lucifer, are to worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Now listen to me, until that trumpet sounds, until the Lord returns, Satan's not going to worship. But I want you to understand that even Lucifer, who turned his back on God, is one day going to bow down. One day going to lift up his hands. One day he's going to have to confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We all will worship one day. And I would admonish you to worship today while it can make a difference in your life. Where it can do something incredibly powerful in your life. Don't wait for the day that you got to walk through the halls of heaven to shake hands with some glorious people that have gone before you. you got to worship God now. you got to praise God now. 
You've got to exalt God and magnify God now. This is our practice ground. We need to understand that God has called us to worship. And it's so much more than words. We have got such a limited thinking about what worship is, church. Oh, it's a song on hymnal book page number 35 or 62 or 125. Worship is the favorite song that, that one of the pastors, uh, the music pastor sings or the choir sings. Now, that's just a tiny little portion of what worship is all about. You see, sometimes you can worship God and never open up your mouth. You see, sometimes you can worship God and never even play an instrument. You need to understand that worship is what comes up from the bottom of your soul like rivers of living water that just flow out of you. You worship God with your life. You don't worship God with just your words. If that's all you're doing, if that's all you think worship is, you haven't learned the spiritual discipline of worship. You see, sometimes you can be in the middle of a business meeting while all hell is breaking loose and the devil's trying to rip you apart. You might not be able to break out in song, but I promise you, you can have a heart of worship. You can recognize the value of God right in the middle of that room. And that's what worship is all about. It's so much more than a word, so much more than some some uh, uh, passages or uh, choruses that are written inside of a book. I'm not belittling any of those. I'm not saying that those things aren't of value, but they're just a small portion of what worship is all about. You see, not only did Jesus refuse to worship Satan, not only did Jesus refuse to be enticed by Satan, not only did Jesus refuse to redirect his affection towards Satan, Jesus also reminded Satan that he was created to bow down and worship God because he's the only one worthy of the praise. What we have to remember is that Satan, like I said, was the choir leader of heaven, church. It was his job. It was his duty. It was his created purpose to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is what, and in heaven there's no time. So I'm just talking about our time so we can understand what his purpose was. His purpose was to just stand in the presence of the Lord and worship God. But Lucifer began to despise his job description. Lucifer began to withhold that very thing that belonged to God. And we need to be so careful. Listen to me, church. I want you to grasp this. I don't know how far I'm going. We need to never allow the situations of life to cause us to withhold that which belongs to God. You might be going through a week that's as hellish a week as you've ever been going through. But we cannot afford in the middle of that week to withhold that which belongs to God. We cannot, church, uh, despise our job description. You see, sometimes it's not easy to be a Christian. Sometimes it's not easy to walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes it's not easy to overcome temptation. Sometimes it's not easy to row through the storm that's waging against our life. Sometimes it's not easy to get to the other side. Sometimes it's not easy to endure the flames and the flood or the, or the lions that are circling around you. Sometimes it's not easy, church. But in the middle of all of that, we cannot withhold 
hold that which belongs to God. And we cannot, uh, we cannot give up on our job descriptions. We cannot despise them. You see, what we have to understand is that part of our job description as a Christian, you see, look, if you go to a job and you get hired to do something, typically you're going to get a job description. This is what's required of you. This is what you're going to do to get bonuses. This is what you're going to do to find the favor of the boss. This is what you're going to do, listen, to even keep your job. This is what you're going to do to get a paycheck. This is what you got to do to earn a vacation. This is what you got to uh, do to earn a sick day. You, you, you get what I'm saying? There is a job description to the place you go work at. There is a job description when you call yourself a Christian. There is a job description that comes with that position. And one of the those job descriptions is to glorify the Lord. One of those jobs descriptions is to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One of those job descriptions is to spend time in the Word of God, whether you're busy or not busy. One of those job descriptions is to find your way to the prayer closet, put yourself into a position of power, and communicate with the King. One of those job descriptions is to love your neighbor just like you love yourself, to love you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That is a job description of every Christian that confesses to be so. One of the job descriptions that we have as a Christian is to bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. But you see, some of those jobs we don't like. Some of those tasks we'd rather put aside. We want, we want the bonus. We want the spiritual raise. We want the spiritual blessing. We want God's spiritual favor. But we want to check off half of the job descriptions that we have as a Christian, including worship. Including worship. Well, God, if I would have just gotten that job today, I'd be worshiping this morning. If my boss wasn't such a jerk this afternoon, I'd be worshiping. If I would have gotten the raise or the bonus, I'd be worshiping right now, God. If my husband wouldn't have said what he said, I'd be worshiping. If my wife wouldn't have done what she did, I'd be worshiping. If my children didn't disobey this morning and just stir up a hornet's nest, I'd be worshiping you this morning. Well, in the mo- I, I don't care what they did. Why aren't you worshiping? Because it doesn't matter about everybody else. It matters about God. He's the one worthy of worship. God didn't ask you to worship your neighbors. Told you to love them. Didn't ask you to worship your husband or your wife. He told you to love them. He didn't tell you to worship your kids. He told you to be patient with them and train them up in the ways that they should go. He didn't tell you to exalt your pastor and worship your pastor. He told you to listen to him and to heed the words that he speaks, to take his wisdom and to take his counsel and react to it. He never asked you to worship anyone except himself. We need to learn to worship God. And when we get that all mixed up, we end up suffering the things that we suffer. We end up going through the heartache that we do. Lucifer began to despise his job description, and so often we do the very same thing. Go ahead and put on the music. Boy, I've really been zipping through this one already. Let me ask you. I couldn't help but think about this. Have you ever gone and bought a gift for someone? Was their birthday? Was their anniversary? Was their whatever? 
special occasion that they have in your life. I know why I've done it, and that's why I'm telling the story. You've gone and bought a gift for someone else, and you've liked it so much that you decided to keep it for yourself. You liked it so much that what you did like me was to keep the good gift for me and go buy a cheaper gift for someone else because I spent all the money on me because I liked it for me. I was thinking about them for a moment. I was thinking about them for occasion. But when I saw that nice thing, when I saw that wonderful gift, I thought, boy, I'd really like that. And I've kept it for myself instead of giving it to the other person. And what I find myself doing or what we can find ourselves doing, church, is keeping for ourselves what belongs to God. We can keep for ourselves the good thing and give God the cheap thing. You see, what you and I need to understand is that Deuteronomy 16, 16, God spoke and said, No one should come before the Lord empty-handed. David tells us in 2 Samuel 24, 24, that I will not offer unto God that which costs me nothing. Because David understood what it meant to worship God. David understood what God was worth and what worship was all about. It was all about emptying myself and giving God what he deserves. You see, God's not interested in... Listen to me, what you and I need to understand is that when it comes to worship, there is no re-gifting allowed. I don't know how many of you know what re-gifting is, but it's some new thing that when you get a gift from someone and you got a few gifts you don't know what to do with and another holiday comes up where you rebox it you put it up in a pretty package and you give it off to someone else and the only reason that we give it to someone else is we don't have room for it or we don't like it or it's not what we wanted when it comes to worship there's no re-gifting allowed When it comes to worship, if it doesn't come from the bottom of your heart, if it hasn't cost you something, then it's worth nothing. And you may as well not give it at all. You see, we cannot treat God like that. We cannot. Listen, some of us think, well, I'll just take this worship and I'll put a three-piece suit on it and present it to God and it'll be all that He needs. You see, worship has nothing to do with the clothes that you wear. A lot of people think, well, I'll just dress up my worship. I'll repackage it. It might be stale. It might be old. It it might be the same as what it was last week. But we need to understand that we cannot repackage our worship. We cannot repackage it and offer to God that which cost us nothing. We need to understand that worship doesn't come from our lips. It comes from a heart that is full of affection for God. Full of affection for the Lord. There's a heart that's overflowing. I praise God for that. Because this is what worship is all about, church. It's all about, listen, worship, like I said, it's not just about words. Sometimes I want you to understand that when it comes to worship, there might be a dance that's attached to your worship. Sometimes there might be a song that's attached to your worship. Sometimes it might be a word. I pray with all of my heart tonight that while I'm preaching and giving you the word of God, that I am worshiping God. You see, you need to understand that sometimes there's just a clap attached to worship. Sometimes there's a big smile attached to worship. Sometimes there's a tear that is attached to worship because a tear can say more than any words you could ever speak. Worship is simply something that comes from the bottom of your soul and has cost you everything. Everything. 
this is what we need to understand. The Bible tells us that those who have received much love can give much love. This sister right here has received much love. I can tell that she has received much love. And I know that every one of us in this place have received the same exact thing. We have received much love. And because we have, it is our responsibility to worship. So here's all I'm going to ask as we close. If you want to say, God, you are worthy of all of my praise. God, you're worthy of all of my praise and even more. You're worthy of all the glory, worthy of all the honor, worthy of all the power, worthy of all the dominion, worthy of all the goodness, worthy of everything that I can muster up from the bottom of my soul. And when I've given it all to you, you're worthy of even more. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet and say, God, I'm here to worship tonight. We're just going to take a moment. I want you to lift up a hand and I just want you to let God know how worthy he is. Worthy of glory. Listen, you just keep worshiping, but I want you to know that in Revelations 4, chapter 8, there were four living creatures that were gathered round the throne of God. And it says, both day and night without ceasing, they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They didn't say it one time. They said it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In verse 11, the 24 elders round about the throne of God in heaven. They were also said to worship God by casting down their crowns at His feet, falling down before Him and saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will all things were created. And have their being. He's worthy of your praise tonight, church. He's worthy of more than we could ever muster up and give him. And we cannot forget that. When Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I promise you at the heart of those words was the thought of worship. Because Paul knew what it meant to worship. I know I'm going on, but I want you to hear this. When Paul and Silas were in a prison cell, when they were locked up in chains, when they were shut out in darkness, when they were closed behind prison doors, they focused on God and they responded to God. They didn't focus on their situation. They didn't focus on the chains. They didn't focus on the prison cell. They didn't focus on the darkness. They focused on God and they responded to his worthiness. And they worshiped God. And here's all I want you to know. When they worshiped the Lord, guess what happened? The chains fell off. The lights came on. And the prison doors were open wide. This is the power of the spiritual discipline of worship and God wants it at the foundation of your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for your faithfulness this evening. God, we cannot put into words or at least I cannot put into words how worthy you are of all of our glory, all of the all of the honor, all of the praise, all of the goodness, all of the dominion, all of our obedience, all of our sacrifice. God, you are worthy of all the praise and all the glory. God, I pray that we would never, that we would never 
reserve for ourselves what only belongs to you. I pray, God, that we would never despise our job descriptions as a Christian. I pray, Father God, that no matter what circumstance or situation we might find ourselves in, that we would learn to worship you, that we would learn to just bow down and worship you. God, I pray that you would help us like Paul and Silas to get our eyes off the circumstances and the situations and focus on you. Because when we focus on you, we see how worthy you are. When we discover how worthy you are, we cannot help but praise and we cannot help but worship. I pray, God, that you would create a household of worshipers, God, that when we're driving down the road, we would break out in worship, that when we're sitting in the, in the office or in our, our, our offices, God, or in a business meeting, we might not have to break out vocally, but I pray that you would give us a heart of worship. I pray, God, that when we come into your house, because this is your house, not our house, that you would be the guest of honor and that we would forget about ourselves and concentrate on you and learn to worship you. No matter what our week has brought, no matter what storms we might be going through, I pray, God, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. So, God, give us hearts of worship. Give us tongues of worship. I pray that you would do whatever you have to do in our minds so we would have minds that worship you. I pray, God, that we would worship you with our hands and that we would worship you with our feet. That we would worship you, God, with every single thing that we do. You've told us, God, that when we go and feed the hungry, you've told us that when we clothe the naked, when we give water to the thirsty, that we are worshiping you. So I pray that we would worship you in both word and in deed, God. That we wouldn't wait for someone else to worship, but that we would worship you solely because you're worthy. God, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your word. Let it find a place in the soil of our soul and let us worship in Jesus name. And all God's people said, amen. Can we magnify the Lord church? Amen. 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 I always say I'd like to, I always say, and I don't want you to think that I won't tarry, but I always say that if you have a special need, I'll tarry and pray with you. But I'm going to challenge you tonight. If you have a need, I want you to leave here worshiping, knowing that God's going to meet that need. I don't want your confidence to be in me tonight. I want your confidence to be in God. And I want you to worship him because he's worthy of your worship. And he will turn your situation around when you worship him. Amen. So God bless you as you go in Jesus name.